Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine. And I'm Stephen. And uh, we're very excited today because we've got a very special guest. Uh, we've got uh, Jilly Jenkinson, PhD. Uh, Jilly is an accredited psychotherapist providing support at Hope Valley Counselling to survivors of cults and spiritual abuse. Uh, so we would really love to welcome you to the show, Jilly. Thank you. So um, tell us, uh, if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about the work that you do at Hope Valley Counselling. Um, you know, what sort of people do you see and, and what do you do there? Okay, so... Um... I've been a therapist for 25 years or so, and over the years I've specialised more and more, and now I only work with survivors of cults, spiritual abuse, religious trauma, whatever, but more specifically really around cults. Um, because I've discovered that there's a real lack of therapists who really understand this field, yeah. I've also started training therapists. so. Last year, I did a certificate in post-cult counselling, which was my own uh, course that I um, created. And we're doing another one, which I've just done the interviews for, for 2022. And post-cult counselling is what I offer. And it's actually based on a, a recovery workbook that I have uh, created. And so basically I'm training these therapists to work with the recovery workbook which right. has been developed over years of research and mm. so um, when we were speaking to Alexandra Stein um, we were saying um, how there seems to be you know a lot of people coming out of these groups and, and it feels like particularly from you know my ex-group the ex-Jehovah's Witnesses a lot of people coming out of these groups um, and I was talking about that, and um, Alexandra Stein said, yeah, yeah, there's, there is a real lack. She said, um, Jilly Jenkinson's doing great work over there at Hope Valley Counselling, which is really why we, we contacted you. We thought, right, okay, that, that doesn't come much better recommendation than that. So, um, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so what, why do you think it's so important, um, or what, what is the benefit of, of thinking about this from a, a specific perspective of um, of cult recovery as opposed to sort of everyday counselling? Okay, so when I did my PhD, I interviewed 29 former cult members and that was on top of my master's research where I interviewed eight. And my question was always, what do you think helps former cult members recover? Yeah. And... Um, what came out of it actually was that the work 
with former cult members needs to go through a number of phases. So phase one is really the, in order to recover, we need to leave the setting where we're being abused. However you define that as an individual, we need to leave physically and we need to start the process of leaving mentally or psychologically. And I use the term psychologically. Yep. So phase two is the need to cognitively understand what happened within that setting, the dynamics, the systems of control, um, there's a, there's a lot to understand and and that's the psychoeducational element of the work now therapists will always talk about that you know that therapy good therapy happens within a relationship so i, I and that is true you know if mm. you don't have a relationship with the therapist it's not going to work whether whatever's happening so yeah. i called it relational psychoeducation um so it, you know, it is a psych, it is a, a therapeutic relationship, and the recovery workbook is a particular package that that I've used with numerous former cult members, and that's the phase two work. Phase yeah. three is then focusing more on the um, the emotional healing side. Now, emotions are always present, of course, and we never ignore emotions. You know, we know people coming out of high demand cultic groups have had to suppress their feelings, suppress their authentic identity, as I call it. And so, but it's a matter of focus. And phase two is focus on the psychoeducation. Phase three is focus on the um, the emotional healing aspects that can be addressing PTSD on a yeah. more visceral level. Phase two, we look at the theory of trauma, but in this case, we're dealing more probably with a body focus and and um, so in phase two, I tend to work for an hour and a half and a bit, a bit longer than a normal therapy session so that there's time for the psychoeducation. In phase three, it would drop back down to normal psychothera psychotherapy or counselling. Mm -hmm. um, kind of norms I guess yeah and then phase four is helping the person to recognize that actually they're recovered enough recovery is never a hundred percent you know it just we trigger we remember things but that actually you know it's not necessary to continue constantly focus on it mm. now that's not for me to say that would be a natural mm. outcome but it's a very hopeful and positive view of the recovery process and we also might look at post-traumatic growth which is the theory that out of trauma and maybe because of and sometimes sometimes because of and maybe in spite of we can grow mm. um so i hope that's clear <laughs> Yeah, that's that's just to recap. You're helping the person to leave physically. Um, I guess that there's something involves um, them having the strength to do that. I guess is that um, something that you'd help them with at the time because that can be the hardest bit. I, I'm guessing. So I don't. I'm not an exit counsellor, so no. I'm not really involved with people leaving physically right. because it, an exit counsellor is different and they okay. require specific 
skills to help someone to exit. The people that come to me where the work is successful is um, are people who've already left. They've identified it as a cult, whatever the group. I work with all kinds of groups. Yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, then the work can happen. Okay. Occasionally, people who are on the cusp of leaving have come mm-hmm. to me, but it's it's not designed to do sure. that. So it's not that good. You know, it's not really sure. So, so for you, they they've already left um, physically. Um, you said and psychologically. Well, so, this, this process is a process of leading psychologically. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's because. I mean, so much can get stuck in the system, and I can say more mm. about the, my ideas about the identity and mm. introject something I call introject. So, um, Come back to that, definitely. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> got a pin in that one already. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so I'm just going through your, your steps, so our, our listeners can um, uh, just sort of pick that up um, uh, and understand those steps. So the next one is this understanding uh, what's happened to them. Um, uh, is that right? This sort of psychoeducation you're describing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's understanding that that they were um, being manipulated and controlled and so on. Yeah. So, well, the recovery workbook starts by looking at the impact on identity because the yeah. impact on identity, is, as you'll know, is massive. Um, for those who are born and raised and those who are multi-generation as well, second and multi-generation, mm. very often, in fact, nearly always say, well, I barely had an identity apart right. from what I had to become within that group. Mm. First generation have a pre-cult identity, but often that mutates into the cult identity or the cult pseudo-identity as well. So. We, we introduce that idea in the workbook and we just start some work on that. Then we look at introject. And an introject is something that, that you've taken in whole, like a lump of food that's unchewed or undigested and it sits in your system. And it's surprising how long that can sit in the system for. So mm. it could be it's selfish to have a holiday, or I've got to burn out for God, or, you know, if I think about myself, it's selfish. Now, if you live your life with this thing, this this belief stuck inside you, it can really cause burnout if you think you've got to burn out. Um, and, you know, there's so, so many more. Then we look at um, boundaries post you know it's it's kind of it's so essential to re-establish personal boundaries and i've used um used the idea that anger is a healthy emotion and is different from rage which is what is a trauma related response so we look at that we look at how confident are you we then we go into the real meat of it, which is what is a cult? What's the definition of a cult? Right. And then we look at thought reform or brainwashing theory. Yeah. And that inevitably, uh, honestly, I can't believe how accurate that is for so many people. And I've updated 
or at least I used the theory, Lifton's uh, eight criteria of thought reform, I used as a theoretical framework within my yeah. PhD. And um, so I changed it somewhat, I updated it for, for this client group. And um, so we go through that and very often that just pulls it all together. It's like, yeah, this is a system. This is how this system works. And now I can make sense of actually what happened to me. And often people will end at that point. Um, oh, right. I have a list of recovery tips and things to go on. Uh, the thing I didn't mention was there's a whole section on trauma theory, which is what's happening in your body, what's happening yeah. in your brain. Very simple, very, very simple. It's not, yeah. it's a one session sort of overview, right. but, and all these fit together like a jigsaw really, and just sort of helping somebody put it all together. Um, I, I'm actually writing it up into a book, so a self-help yeah. book. Um, so I'm in that process. So that, you know, I'm full up. I don't have any space for more clients. I just want to say that. Yes. <laughs> um, I have a, like an 18 month, maybe longer waiting list. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one trying to, or at least I am sort of articulating this so people can use it as self-help. Yes. Uh, but at the moment, the recovery workbook isn't available for people to use as it stands because it needs sure. the therapist to go yeah. alongside. It's it. a tool that, that it's you a know. Tool. Exactly. It's exactly what it is. It's a tool. And that's all it is. Mm -hmm. so it's not God's truth. It's not <laughs> anything like that. It's just a tool that, yeah. that, that actually has shown itself to be very effective for most people, but not for every single person not the right thing for everybody i really like that emphasis on um education um because i think that's for me that's something that um i've always wanted to understand you know and i think understanding what happens to you is is so important and uh, what's happened to you is so important mm -hmm. because once you understand it then somehow you're able to figure out a a way through it at least that's that's how i see it yeah I mean, I agree. Also, they have this as a product. This is a workbook. They pay yeah. for it. So yeah. when we finish, I've heard people say to me, I finished with years ago. I still look at the workbook and I mm. still think, okay, now what did we look at there? Yeah, they yeah. make notes in it. There are worksheets in it. And the, and the publishable book, uh, fingers crossed, you know, mm. um, will will be the same. You yeah. know? So there's something that's there. That sounds very really good. Yeah. yeah, it makes right, it look, more, look, it makes it accessible, doesn't it? Exactly. Well. exactly. Look, look forward to that. So, um, not putting too much pressure on you, but um, <laughs> when's uh, when's that likely to be available for for people? Do you think? I I don't really know, but I'm hoping within the next year. Oh, um, right. You know, uh, you I like the publishing process is something that I don't know much. About. Sure. <laughs> so we'll see, but I'm. Yeah thought I'd mention it because then mm. if, if anyone's interested, keep a lookout for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so um, that that brings us to the third um, element in in your yeah. in, in the model. So that's um, this focus on um, emotional healing. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What? Why is that so important? Um, okay. Do you think? 
I mean, emotions are part of us. They're part of our identity. They're part of who we are, just like our body and our mind. And one of my participants said, you know, you know, within a cult, you're not allowed your own feelings. Mm. You, you're taught to suppress the feelings or you're told off. I, I, I was in a cult. I, I know I'll say a bit more about mm. it, but I know if I was upset, I would be told off for having self-pity. So any kind of emotion was self-pity. So now I feel like it's a human right to have our emotions. I'm allowed to cry. I'm allowed to express my, my anger. I'm allowed to express my grief, my feelings. And it's all part of the thought reform system that feelings are suppressed and pathologized, which means made out to be somehow unwell or, or sort of sick. And, and so it's essential. But if we focus on emotions or feelings, they're the same thing. Before we understand what happened to us, we may continue to, to, to sort of to actually view them in the way the cult is like somehow this is there's something wrong with feeling anger or there's something wrong with those feelings so it's so essential to understand and get the pseudo identity and that identification with the cult out of the way suddenly have, have this sort of image of a garden that's maybe like the sleeping beauty or something you know, all, all that that detritus that's around us, we need to get rid of that so we can clearly access what's authentically ours. Mm -hmm. And even, I've realised, even for multiple generation and second generation, that there's something there, there's a seed or a kernel of something that makes you different to someone else. You mm -hmm. were clever, you could run faster. You love drawing. They were crap at drawing. Mm. You know, whatever. And those mm. are the little things. What do you like to do? If, if I like doing this is different to someone else, that actually is really important. Mm. It's interesting to use that um, metaphor you just did as well, then, because someone I've spoke to about why they've found, you know, therapy really useful is they were like, I wanted to go pulling out the weeds so like um, they were they said they were really literate with their talking about their emotions like they knew how they felt but they were like that they were like you know if my if you know to use a metaphor like yeah they were like if my brain is a garden i feel like everything's overrun and i don't know how to i need help guiding to pull everything out and, nice. and clear it so it's an interesting yeah. way of talking about it but it makes sense yeah it's great and that's what i'd call the interject those weeds mm. that are still left there or you could see it almost like a splinter. They're things that are really gone deep, but actually aren't ours. They don't belong to us, but we don't know they don't belong to us. That we think that is us, but then you start doing the work and pulling it apart. You think, well, actually, that isn't me. I'm not like that. When I left the cult, I was suffering post-traumatic stress disorder. I cried nearly every night, probably trying to get all the tears out that I'd left stored up for years mm -hmm. i was really timid and really lacked confidence 
and that's been a long hard road for me mm -hmm. to to read to build confidence uh and to some degree rebuild it i entered the cult when i was about 18 so i'm still young and not really fully yeah. formed and so you know now i think actually that's not me at all you know i that's not naturally me i can revert to that behavior but it's not actually my authentic identity mm. Mm. interesting and and then your, your fourth uh fourth point there was that and i really love that uh, that turn of phrase recognizing when you you're recovered enough yeah. so that i think that's such a a realistic way of yeah. approaching it because yeah you you i guess you're always on that um, that journey aren't you you you're, you're always uh, you, you know you're talking about there some of the things i was only thinking today how difficult and selena will, will um, echo this how difficult i find it to just sort of take the day off and not do anything. Um, I mean, that, that the idea of um, constantly, you know, serving Jehovah or doing things, constantly trying to um, better yourself to serve Jehovah. Everything with purpose. Everything, yes, yeah, so that's right. Everything has to have a, a reason, you know, just doing something because you, you feel like it. Um, I find really, really difficult. I think that is still something that I, I yeah. struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. And there's always an interject behind that, yeah. is my experience and opinion. And I find that a really helpful way of looking at it. Oh, this is an interject. This is something I took in. Mm. I, I, I didn't have a chance to chew it over with my critical thinking and think, do I want to have my life live like this or don't I? Mm, so when we right. start to identify the interjects, we have to challenge them. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, recovery, if I'd suffered trauma, those memories are always in my body and in my mind. And so yeah. the perfectionist sort of attitude of, of a cult has to also be challenged. Mm. That, you know, mm. there's nothing that's perfect. Hopefully, I don't, you know, I don't no. want to be perfect. Mm. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I'm not, so... Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. So, okay, that, and those those are the four steps that um, that you work with your your clients and and you help people go through those those well, four a, stages. It's a kind of framework in my mind. I'm yeah. not specifically saying to yeah. one, this is what we're doing, but I might explain it or send them an article I've written and just say, what do you think? Yeah, uh, and and then to therapists especially, that that information needs really um, stressing. But if you yeah. go in with a former cult member and you just sit there doing the usual thing of, and how does that feel, you'll probably get a blank stare. Because right. I don't know how I feel when I've just left the cult very often, or it's a dangerous question. Right. Yeah, after That's... being in a thought control environment mm. quite often, yeah. and then someone's mm. like, you know, you, don't, you feel nervous if you feel like your head's being sort of looked into. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, normally in, in high control groups, you're encouraged to avoid um, counselling of any type, really. Yeah. Uh, certainly in my experience, um, we were. And I mean, that's I think there's obvious reasons for that, because you're, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're being encouraged to think for yourself and to yeah. actually explore how you think and feel. Well, that's not what the group wants. Yeah. They want to tell you how to think and feel. Exactly. Therefore, they, they don't like counsellors um, generally. 
Um, so, so I guess when you leave, you're you're likely to, or it's possible you might still have some of that re- some of those reservations. Um, so, would you say that? Um, so, I suppose it's a difficult message to get right, really, because we 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 it seems like we have a um, a need for leavers to get counselling, to get professional help, to. To, to be helped um, after leaving a group uh, of, of many different types. On the other hand, um, there's a need to get it right. Um, how, how do we kind of balance the message with that? You know, we don't want to discourage people from going to therapy, but on no. the other hand, we want we want therapy to be as effective as it possibly can. Is there any way we can kind of think about that? Well, I... One thing I've noticed is if one uses the four phases as the, the sort of structure, that if somebody uh, gets, obviously they leave. I mean, I'm assuming they've left. Yeah. Then they get the psychoeducation. Now, the biggest category in terms of psychoeducation in the PhD was self-help. Mm-hmm. Was actually, there's so much, there's mm. a, an increasing number of stuff, of uh, print, available published yeah. that is really good and alex stein's book on terror love and brainwashing yanya lalich's book take back your life yeah. and her other um, escaping utopia the second and multi-generation but take back your life is a really good recovery book okay. um and daniel shaw's work on the traumatizing narcissist and he's just published a, a second book on recovery. And um, it's quite challenging language because it's mm-hmm. psychodynamic, uh, psychoanalytic language. But if you can get through it, it's really helpful in looking at the narcissistic cult leader aspect. Yeah. Um, so I would really suggest that at phase two, do as much self-help stuff, listen to podcasts, listen to, look at YouTube, there's a Mm. massive amount Mm. of stuff out there, Mm. chew it over, always chew it over, that's my term for critical thinking, always, (laughs) always think about Mm. what do I think about this, but if you're doing it on your own there's no risk of someone else telling you off or you know getting somehow rebuked or treated as a a rebel or whatever (laughs) um so you know really you know just do as much as you possibly can Hmm. then in phase three with the the sort of regular normal therapy if you have an understanding Okay, the therapist may or may not have an understanding, but if you have a therapist who's prepared to go and do some research, maybe yeah. take back your life and have a look. Mm. Hopefully when my book comes out, perhaps do the same. Um, yeah. and, and I do know therapists who've consulted with me who've mm. been amazing. They, they've, they've consulted me, they've said, oh, we've got this client, I, I don't know anything about this, and they've really taken it seriously they've done bits of training they're the kind of therapists to see mm-hmm. and then once you really understand then actually 
you can see any therapist who's a good therapist and there are lots of them around as you say who who can then do that phase three work and the emotional healing work mm. i mean when i finally left church and things behind because i did in the end um i went to see an exit counselor mm. when i first uh, left so i got quite a level of psychoeducation at that point the exit counselor that's part of the exit counselor mm. to give that psychoeducation okay. and then i started training as a a therapist doing my masters and we had to be in therapy the whole time which was really one of the best things i've ever done mm. and i found the most wonderful therapist she didn't know about cults but i knew about cults mm. so i didn't need her to know about cults at that point i think that's really interesting isn't it because that um and that's so uh, that's got to be so healthy because as a as a an individual you're 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 taking ownership of your own um treatment in some respects so you know you're actually i'm going to learn about cults and what happened to me and the the methods the techniques they use and i want to understand all that and then um, when you're talking to your therapist you know you're not just a a passive person um being told by your therapist you've actually done a lot of that work yourself and in my experience i think people do want to know they really want to know what happened to them um you know we know from the podcast that people want to know they want to talk about it yeah and i think it's really important not to be passive in therapy yeah. i i yeah. think i i actually when i train therapists i say to them you need to be interactive with this client group mm. and one of the things i've often said is that humanistic therapies have this assumption within them that the client has the roadmap to find their way to what they mm. need mm. yeah i actually argue that i'm not sure i don't think actually that this client group have in, an internal roadmap of what mm. they need to mm. recover because they don't even understand they have a pseudo identity that this mm. is a cult identity not actually your authentic identity sort of thing mm. so um yeah okay that's really interesting um i, I want to know a bit about the group then that um yeah. that you you got involved in if that's okay uh, yeah, please jilly yeah. um so what, what was your experience could you tell us a little bit about that yeah so i'm getting on now so my i was a member of a cult back in the 70s mm -hmm. and it was the time when there were a lot of communities springing up around the world um it was really a big deal you know the hippie movement mm. from the 60s and um lots of communities and all that sort of thing and it started to infiltrate into christianity and i was 18 and this woman who i knew i got to know her to a degree and then i guess i got to be have a lot of time with her but she started to really press me into becoming a christian and I also felt very moved by something and at the time I just thought well that must be God and so I committed my life to Jesus sorry if that's yep. triggering for anybody <laughs> um, and 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 then just thought well I just still wanted to carry on smoking fags I thought 18 you know wanted yep. to go out with boys and all the rest of it but 
this person put a lot of pressure on me to attend the church mm. and eventually I sort of capitulated and um, ended up really becoming radicalized in my, my mm. thinking. I, I went from being kind of party girl to being very narrowly focused on um, these evangelical charismatic churches. So right. it wasn't a cult then, it was extreme Christianity, but it wasn't mm -hmm. a cult. And mm -hmm. then I, for through various steps, uh, ended up moving from the south of England. So I was born in Uganda and my family were all in the south of England, south of London. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going up to Derby as an au pair. Well, I'd mm -hmm. never been an au pair in my life. I mean, the kids used to shut me in the, in the, <laughs> uh, you know, in this room. And I mean, I was completely out of my depth. I mean, completely. And I think underlying all that was, you know, I was out, I was really out of my depth. I was a long way from my family in Derby. I mean, it's not that far north, but this is one of the things that happens to people of first generation who end up joining a cult. They end up, you know, often getting geographically dislocated yeah. from the family. And I won't go into all the details of it, but, but I ended up needing counseling. And there was this little group in Birmingham the Bearwood Fellowship, and they were saying they would offer counselling, they'd had training for counselling, and this was like early 70s, but there wasn't counselling really, but they trained in a particular type of Christian counselling, uh. and um, I left the place I was as an au pair in Derby, and I went to Birmingham for this counselling, and I ended up staying for seven years, mm. and what was... Um, a fairly open-minded sort of not necessarily open-minded but open sort of christian fellowship not a community when i got there but within about six months of my going to birmingham are they the leaders i wasn't a leader the leaders um decided we'd live in community households somebody mm -hmm. gave them or us uh, a house believing mm. this was God's work and we were going to be the answer to something which we never were <laughs> but um, what started off as sort of um, fairly open we could come and go we'd go to mm. other churches we'd go home for weekends actually slowly but surely became more and more and more closed right. and um for a long period of time i didn't see my family and it became highly abusive oh. there were physical beatings of adults for sin there was um sexual abuse the leader <laughs> thought i mean this is funny in the in the cold light of day mm. looking back at the time it was nonsense it didn't seem to make any sense but we went along with it that james mm. bond was the ideal christian man i mean oh you know, oh that's I know. a first that's i know a first. <laughs> it's very weird 
Mm-hmm. It, but it was highly, 100% almost controlling. And I really? 100% lost myself. I was really? terrified. I was very timid. I was um, had no confidence and spent a lot of time suppressing myself and just trying to survive. And Alex mm. Stein just puts all of this so beautifully, mm. mm-hmm. you know, that the the attachment moved from my family onto the leader and then yeah. the abuser is the one who you're going to in order to mm. try and soothe and you don't get soothed and it, it, it was terrible. And, um, but the reason it went so badly wrong was because another leader joined a guy he sort of came and joined the group and there's a long story to that too but he took it in this awful terrible Mm. direction Mm. and um but he started to lose his control and we lived in community households there were eight community households it wasn't a very big group it was called the love of god community Mm. and um Gradually, it, it start, people started to think for themselves a bit more. People yeah. around him, I, I don't think that was happening really that much to me, but it was happening yeah. to the leaders of all women. He wanted sexy women around him, oh, James really? Bond style. Um, and uh, eventually, the women in his household actually challenged him. And he jumped out of the sitting room window. We always said, unfortunately, it was on the ground floor. (laughs) And he ran off to some of the other households trying to get people on his side. And, oh, you know, I'm the victim. I've been charged up. And and actually, that signaled the end of it. Over the next probably three, four, five months, it split. People Mm -hmm. started to leave. I met my husband within that group. And... Mm -hmm. Um, some people split off and went off and started another group that eventually right. broke down. But mm. but we got married and um, unfortunately we joined a church that said they understood about cults, mm. but they did not understand about cults. And mm. so they told us that God had called us to that area to evangelize the locals as if that was some antidote to being mm. in a in a really abusive situation so we carried on really living out of the cult mindset we didn't Mm. go into full-blown cult but we continued in that Mm. until we finally were in a situation locally where we just saw oh this is all starting to happen again and and then we left for good and just Mm -hmm. said we we can't i can't do this i i remember the day when I said to myself, you cannot be abused again. You must not allow this to happen again. Um, and and it hasn't. And um, so now, as, as I left finally 14 years later, the actual final church locally, uh, I started training as a counsellor and I did right. a certificate in... Um, no, I didn't. I did a diploma in pastoral counselling because I was still too much in that world. I, I couldn't yeah. cope with secular counselling, but it became mm. part of my exiting right. because I was with people who were Christians who were completely different to anything I'd yes. experienced before. Yeah. 
and and then I did my master's, a PhD, and I'm here today. Wow! So you certainly, um, yeah, you certainly experienced some of the things that many of your um, your clients um, have gone through themselves. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was a full blown thought reform mm. cult, mm-hmm. and so even though some of the practices are different, um, the, the you know actually what went on the packaging is different but the the the, the dynamics are very similar so yeah, yeah i know it from the inside yeah. out yeah, yeah. but i have to be very careful not to conflate that with someone yeah. else's story that that's not yes. the point um yeah yeah um, so there's a couple of subjects I, I, I wanted to um, approach with you. I, one of them, though, I think, Celine, you wanted to ask about, because uh, you talked about exit counselling yeah. there. Yeah, well, it's just, um, you know, I think uh, something that people have brought up to me, knowing what we do the podcast about, is, um, you know, uh, people that... Um, oh, what's the term, Dad? Deprogramming. Yeah, deprogrammers, people that um, do that, because that's kind of, you know... Um, and before we started talking to more people, that was the only kind of, um, I guess, psychological intervention that I'd heard about was deprogramming. But then as we've, I guess, looked into it, it sounds quite almost aggressive. As um, and, and I was just wondering what your opinions are as more of, you know, you know, more of a professional about deprogramming, I suppose. Or what do you think about that as a, you know, as, as, as a situation? Yeah. Yes, thanks for asking. Um, deprogramming doesn't happen now, uh, mm-hmm. or it certainly shouldn't happen now. Mm-hmm. So deprogramming was a, a really intense experience where someone might be, um, in fact, a couple of my PhD participants had been deprogrammed. And you know, bundled in a car because the cult was stopping them seeing their family, literally moving them around the country, telling them you'll be a spiritual vegetable, whatever that is, if you have anything to do with your family. So creating phobias within those individuals. So the family actually got a deprogrammer to come to put them in a car, in the car park, where they finally tracked them down and to take them off to a hotel or somewhere and to go through a psychoeducational thing. And it's, it's, br- it's fairly brutal. It it's, creates trauma in itself. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it could certainly be very effective. I'm sure sometimes it wasn't. Um, but they, they evolved. It's evolved mm-hmm. uh, into a much gentler, much more ethical, well, ethical approach to helping someone. So that's the exit counselling. There's actually a book by Carol Giambalvo and the International Cultic Studies Association with a code of ethics for exit counsellors, mm-hmm. you know, that people have autonomy and, you know, it, it's not necessarily going to, it, it's perhaps less challenging for the individual, but it can be very um, effective. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few exit counsellors so there's some in America who I'll refer people to. Um, I don't know of anyone here that I would refer people to. So, mm-hmm. um, and they do really interest. They have such interesting work. I think one of them is um, Patrick Ryan and Joe Kelly are 
writing a book at the moment about their experience of exit counselling, mm. I believe. I think that's right. what it's about. So you mm. can watch out for that because that's mm. really interesting. Mm. Again, that's a few years away, I think. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think Patrick Ryan, isn't he... Um, I get uh, an email from the uh, Cultic Studies Association regularly. I think he sends that out, actually. I think he's the... He's the seem to recognize that name mm. he also has cult 101 intervention. so they call mm. it an intervention actually as well okay. so mm. some people see it a little like an alco alcoholic yeah. intervention mm. you know, that kind of thing so i don't yeah. know if that answers your question no yeah that does because yes yeah it's interesting mm. yeah mm -hmm. uh, and the, the thing that i was i was obviously you've, you've mentioned this already a couple of times already um, and I know we, we discussed briefly when we had our little chat before around identity and, and the difficulties of born-ins versus, um, you know, a first generation or people that were recruited. Um, and uh, it, it's something I'm, I'm trying to understand genuinely my, myself in terms of uh, my, my studies in psychology as well as my own experience and trying to piece together everything I think I know about the subjects and everything I experienced and that I read from various different experts and so on. The, the whole question of authentic self versus um, the pseudo personality versus, um, you know, how much of that a born in can sort of draw on, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, recruited then you have got something to look back at and say well i never used to think like that or i didn't used to mm -hmm. uh have this opinion or behave this way whereas when you're when you're raised in this religion it's very difficult to separate um you know it's the nature and nurture sort of debate all over again and um from a psychology perspective self is a very complex mm -hmm. notion anyway um, but you've obviously talked a little bit about that already, but I don't know whether you can address some of that to to sort of help make sense of all of that in, in any way. Mm. Well, it, it is complex. I, I yeah. find in the post-cult counselling that, you know, in the conversation, people get it eventually, yeah. you know, eventually. I think it's really important not to conflate the idea of I have a pre-cult identity with the authentic identity. Yeah. It, you know, just so somebody has that uh, pre-cult identity, and yes, maybe that is their authentic identity, or maybe part of it is an authentic identity, because life's challenging, and mm. not, you know, it's not just cults that cause harm. But so, so I thought really long and hard about this, and I had to really articulate this clearly for the PhD and yeah. I look at the idea of identity in terms of gestalt psychotherapy theory which probably not many people really know that much about I have written about it but there's an article I wrote for the International Cultic Studies Association called um, leaving breaking the confluential trance which sounds bizarre I'm sure but confluence is when we're merged with other people yeah. and the idea that when we're in a trance state um interjects actually flow in but but we're also in a trance you know we're not fully engaged with actually whoa hang on 
So I'm hoping people listening to this are going, well, okay, and you're doing this. You're like, okay, you said this, but what mm. about that? Mm. So, um, so I've, I have explained a bit about how I see identity in that article. I see the, uh, the term identity, and I picture it like a cartoon in my head, because it is complex. There's hundreds of different ways of looking at it. Mm. And I wanted to have a particular theory that was consistent throughout my thinking. So there's identity that sits over the self and the personality. Okay. So you could see identity is the umbrella term. Personality, I pictured as a, a kind of octagon, that they're different aspects of ourselves that we present to people at different times. Right now you're interviewing me then you might go off and make a cup of tea or have a walk. You need mm. different parts of something that's stable about yourself, but that, that you know, it's consistent, but can present different, mm -hmm. different aspects. And then the self, in terms of Gestalt psychotherapy theory, is the part of us that's in contact. I'm in contact with you both now, or in contact with whoever's listening, or in contact with, I can see... I'm talking to you, but I can see the woods outside the window and the trees. So there's the self is what's in contact with um, life moment by moment. So and that kind of to me sits like a sort of rolling dynamic on, on, on top of the oxygen that is the, the personality. Mm -hmm. So so within a cult, the self that moment by moment contacting gets squashed I think you know it gets squashed and so does the personality so you could imagine if you're picturing that you can see them getting crushed and squashed mm -hmm. down so they're fixed they're solid they're stuck they can't move mm. whereas in a free situation we we move freely between the different things that we need to deal with uh, it's slightly cartoon version I do realize but it's it's helping that person to to find perhaps those the parts of their personality the more stable aspect what is there there that that's actually um yours so that's what mm. i was talking about earlier about the kernels or the seeds of yeah you were good at this and and you and whatever or and i heard a talk just recently by a wonderful woman uh, called Lorna Goldberg, who's a member of the International Cultic Studies Association and psychoanalyst for 50 years, specializes in working with former members and a close friend and someone I love to <laughs> <laughs> But She was talking about the, and this is going to be loaded language or triggering for some people, but okay. the rebellions, the little rebellions. Mm. But actually, the cult frames that as rebellion. But actually, those are almost certainly aspects of the authentic identity. It's like, I don't like this, I don't want this, you know, I'm doing something different. That's authentically that person. So it's finding those things. Maybe it's really thinking back and thinking, actually, where was I rebellious? Mm. Actually, I wasn't rebellious. I was just pushing against a system that was just trying to control me. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? It, it does. It does yeah. uh, and it's interesting. We, we've just actually just 
um, interviewed a, a, a woman who, how would you describe, sexually abused? She was... Yeah. Um, By a leader of, you know, yeah. an elder. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and she she was saying that, um, you know, she, she didn't do anything about it. She was very timid about it. Um, but since she's come out, you know, she was saying, or even when she was still in um, as, a, as a witness, witness if it was like, that's right, same. if it was in the street or something and somebody said something, she would have shouted. Well, she did. She'd shout back at them or, um, you know, bash their hand away if they tried to do anything. But somehow when she was at the, um, within the organization, she, she couldn't do that. And she said that's helped her to think about actually, you know, what, that isn't like her at all who am i you know this is the real me would would actually stand up for myself i would say something but she felt that she couldn't within that setting so yeah i think there's there's definitely something there there's also the whole conversation about the cult leadership about the layers of leadership and about um how human beings are wired up to kind of um comply with authority yes so you as yeah. soon as you've got the authority figure, you've got another yeah. dynamic to add into yeah. that layer so yeah. Yeah. so yeah it's not so you know like what would happen if you actually fought that there's also a lot yeah. of stuff in trauma theory about the freeze you know we go into freeze mode yeah. and mm-hmm. we're not in fight and flight we go into freeze yes. because our body judges that we're safer to freeze than to try and challenge this this authority figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then people, I worked for 11 years at a rape crisis centre and, you know, women would say, oh, if only I didn't, uh, I should have fought back. But actually, mm-hmm. our body makes the decision in the moment of what is going to be safer for us in the long run. Now, mm-hmm. not always, you know, I, I, I think... You know, we have to respect that and we have to say, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to have to do the recovery work later, but for now, this is this is the safest thing for me to do. And mm. it's horrible and terrible and it makes me incredibly angry mm. that these people do these things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, that that's... Um, but going back to the identity thing, I, I think that's um, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it and um you know one of the um one of the things we we were told as jehovah's witnesses was to there's a scripture somewhere to put on the new personality i don't know if you remember that scripture Mm -hmm. um but we would be told that all the time so put on the new personality um and there was like a um the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and there's a whole there's a whole kit you know you can get something (laughs) i remember that that kit from yeah Yeah. i mean something else that was said was um uh was basically you know it's kind of just faded from my brain so i'll talk about it (laughs) whenever because it's just like you started saying stuff about breastplates and then it just left me i had it and then it went so jump, jump back in uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I was thinking kind of... that, you know, uh, if you're looking for evidence that um, an organisation is trying to impose, uh, a, a, you know, something upon you, mm-hmm. then then actually telling you to to strip off the old personality mm-hmm. and put on the new one is oh, is like um, it's a smoking gun, really, isn't I remember, it? <laughs> I remember now as well um, that um, when when uh, the person we we're just talking to said she had doubts 
her friend that was trying to help her to stay in was like, oh, I wish I could climb inside your brain and <laughs> replace everything with good thoughts. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she was like, oh, that's yeah. brainwashing. Mm. <laughs> it is. And doubts mm. and rebellions mm. are real. It's your warning uh, signals. Yeah. And on it, the thing about putting on the new self, it's not a new self. It's mm. the cult pseudo-identity. And it's really clear. If you could sit down with a big piece of paper or mm. something, or do something creative around it, mm. you know, it could be really helpful to see, actually, this is not my authentic identity. This mm. is what I was told I had to be. And it yeah. consists of this and this and this and this. And I yeah. think it consists often of introjects that need challenging. Mm. You must, you know, give a hundred percent. You must be perfect. You can't have sex. You know, you, you've got to be good women in their roles. Submissive. Yeah, all of that. That's all gets introjected, and yeah. all of that's very clear. It's like, mm. well, do I agree with that anymore? Mm. It's not up mm. to me what someone thinks but like for them they need to chew it over what do i think about this mm -hmm. i think i don't want this anymore okay let's chew it over let's challenge yeah. it let's start to work on getting rid of it mm -hmm. and it is work and but it's worth it mm. yeah 100%. yeah so um so we're, we're coming to the 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 hour we we generally um only take up an hour of our guest time because we we know you're really busy. Mm -hmm. um, I, I suppose is is there anything else before before we uh, we wrap up that you'd like to say um, as a kind of message to to people in who are leaving, who have left? Well, I'll say two things. One is that recovery is possible. Like you've heard a bit tiny bit of my story. Honestly, mm. complex post traumatic. I've worked very, very hard to get where I am, but it's been worth it. And my life is really good and I'm at peace in myself. And that's not meant mm. by as a loaded word. I mean, I just sure. feel settled in myself. Yeah. And the other thing I want to say is that I want to believe that for second and multi-generation, there is an authentic self there or, mm. or authentic identity there, even if it's going to take time an effort to find and even if that process is complex for some uh some get it very more quickly than others that's okay um that that just hang on to that you know um so i think that's it really great thank you well i, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to mm -hmm. you today thank you so much for joining us really really interesting mm -hmm. um we'll put links to your website um and um, anything else that you think is useful? I don't know whether you're, um, that the article you, you've talked about, if that's available, we can put a link on that for people to read. I know you said you're you're absolutely um, snowed under at the moment, so um, I, I understand that, that you know you can't take on any more clients at the moment, but um, it'd be really nice to, to keep in touch with you, and uh, thank you very much for all the great work you're doing. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production.